Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host Jay Shabat this week to discuss Qantas's new CEO and Lufthansa's first quarter results. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hey Jay, how's your first week of May going? It's all good, Ned. How are you? Good. Unfortunately, the April showers bring May flowers hasn't seemed to have happened yet in D.C. as we are sitting under lots of rain. But that is not dampening travel demand. That is for sure. Plenty of people are flying out there. Yes, for, there, there's no shortage of travel demand, as you said. And uh, it's the summer is just looking really, really good. And we've talked a lot in the past uh, about North America and transatlantic. But it's true, even in the distant shores of uh, Australia, uh, and there's uh, one particular Australian airline with a kangaroo on its tail that made some news this week. Now, you're talking about Virgin, right, Jay? Ha! I kid. I kid. <laughs> no, we're talking probably, about Qantas. Love to have a I guess there's no <laughs> copyright uh, laws that said they can't have a kangaroo as well. Maybe they can, you know. Have a little bit of a different style or different speed, you know, different subspecies of kangaroo. But uh, <laughs> exactly, below exactly. all that is Qantas we're talking about. It is Qantas. So, well, Qantas hasn't reported numbers. Uh, they generally only do in the for the half year. They have named their next CEO, and it is a one of the uh, few female CEOs in the industry. Vanessa Hudson, their current CFO, will be taking over from Alan Joyce in November. And that's, uh, I mean, that's big. Alan Joyce has been in the job for 15 years. Uh, like I said, it's it's more female representation in an overwhelmingly male-dominated industry, which is fantastic. But uh, she steps into some big shoes at Qantas. Yeah, and as you pointed out, uh, Virgin Australia has a female CEO as well. So both uh, major Australian carriers, um, that's now the case. Now, as far as um, Joyce, he leaves a uh, quite a legacy. As he, as he said, he's been there for uh, is it 15 years, which you said. Um, 15 years, so 2008. 2008, yeah, right before the, uh, I guess, right uh, right as the global financial crisis was was getting started. And uh, yeah, he leaves quite a legacy because uh, if you recall, um, early on in his tenure, uh, Qantas was losing a lot of money on their long haul intercontinental routes. And now, it's funny took- you mention that, Jay. That that is something I did not know, and you you taught me. And I went back and looked, and you know, Qantas when they started breaking out their long haul uh, revenues, they lost Australian one point four billion on long haul flying from two thousand eleven through twenty fourteen. Impressive. Anyway, I, I, I digress. It was a big problem for them. And Joyce just said, we need to put an end to this. And he took some rather controversial steps, uh, particularly on the labor side. At one point, I believe it was late 2012, where he locked out uh, the maintenance union, I believe. And the the airline was was grounded for a short period until the government ordered planes back into the sky. Eventually, they got a settlement through government mediation. And uh, that sort of marked one step along the path to significant cost reductions. And sure enough, a couple of years later, Qantas was making good money on their long haul international, as they are today. Um, It's never been the most profitable part of their business. Domestic just makes really, really strong margins. It's more or less been a duopoly market domestically. 
with Virgin and Virgin just have, has had so many problems over the year years. There are um, a couple other players in there now. I think Sky West is fine. Narrow bodies on some of the big Eastern business routes. And you've got a new airline Bonza, I think, which started up. But generally speaking, it's a duopolistic market. So Qantas has been able to really pad their profits there. They've done rather well with Jetstar over the years. And that was Joyce himself, basically. Uh, he was their first CEO who you know, was responsible for, for that being a success early on. And then the other thing that Qantas has is just a very, very, very lucrative loyalty program. So it's you don't you almost with all of that, you almost don't need the long haul international to be super profitable, but you don't want it to lose one point, whatever, whatever figure that was you said, uh, you know, dollars either. So um, I, th- I think that the situation now, especially with demand back post COVID is a rather healthy one. And, you know, you don't have to believe me, just look at their operating margin in the last six months of 2022 is 16%. So you're talking about an airline that's doing very, very well right now. Very well. And you know what? Part of the international transformation that that we haven't talked is is the partnerships. You know, I was going through Qantas's old earnings statements leading up uh, while they were losing money internationally, and they repeatedly complained about sort of competitive capacity, pressuring yields, coming into Australia, pushing them to a loss. And then what did uh, Joyce do in 2013? Turned around and partnered with Emirates, which arguably is one of their biggest competitors on long haul. And well, I mean, you rightfully noted, like, I think the Emirates partnership has lessened in importance in recent years, especially as Qantas has done more long haul flying. You know, that was a huge step for them. And now Qantas has pivoted to a much closer relationship to American Airlines. They have a partnership with LATAM in South America. You know, they've really focused on these lucrative long haul routes that connect into their partners. And where it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's been a, fanta- a fascinating transformation that I now see because I did not know it had occurred so much in the last few years. But as I went back and looked at it, it was like, wow, definitely. Yeah, certainly. And that, that American partnership, the joint venture, is, uh, I think, especially right now with uh, those trans-Pacific Australia-US markets just doing very, very well, um, that, that alliance is particularly important for them. Um, as you as you reminded me, uh, Ned, um, earlier in the week, that alliance actually was uh, that joint venture was originally rejected by, I believe it was the Obama administration, and then approved by the Trump administration. Um, you know, our listeners will have to double check me on that, but I, I believe memory serves me there. Uh, and it, it it's a very important. Um, it's it's I, I believe you have to believe it's very lucrative for both carriers, especially Qantas, because North America is just a rather big chunk of their overall ASKs, their overall revenues. Uh, and they've been expanding as, as well. They're, they're actually even doing, I believe, Auckland to Los Angeles nonstop. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah. no, Auckland to JFK. They're Auckland going to JFK, launch that JFK, in yes, June. Yes. Yeah. It's and Auckland to is- New York. I'm pretty sure is a is a precursor to um, them launching Sydney JFK nonstops, but uh, yeah, it's um, they're they're definitely in long haul expansion mode. But you know, th- this brings us around to Vanessa Hudson when she steps in. She's going to inherit all of these things that Joyce did, but you know, really, she's going to be tested. She's going to have to make. Project Sunrise, Qantas's big ultra long haul project to fly nonstop from Sydney to New York and London, work. And that, you know, Joyce has laid the groundwork. He's ordered the planes, set the, you know, onboard cabin specifications. But, you know, 
Vanessa, Miss Hudson's really going to have to make it work once it once it launches in 2025. Right. And the uh, is, is it not true? Air New Zealand is also doing Auckland, New York, aren't they? That's uh, they are. Something. They are. Yeah. So. so that's that's getting getting rather competitive. They have to keep keep their eyes on on Air New Zealand as well. But the uh, the London flights um, now they say that the Perth uh, so Perth is close enough to London still some 16 or 17 hours whatever it is but still close enough where they can do it with the with the Dreamliner the seven eight seven nines uh, so they've yeah. been doing that uh, I believe they do Perth Rome as well um, as you can yes. see I'm not totally uh, fresh and all, all these the, the Qantas route network is not fresh in my mind but <laughs> just doing this from memory I think they are doing uh, yeah Perth Rome. And they uh, certainly Perth London has been very successful for them. Um, that's uh, people are willing to pay a premium for that. And remember, it's not just people flying nonstop. You can go from Sydney and Melbourne to London via Perth now. And I think they get a lot of that traffic too. I mean, traffic they could otherwise go through Dubai or Singapore. Uh, so it's um, I, it, it seems to be. I, th I think those nonstops uh, they'll be they'll be niche. I mean, there's not there's not a whole lot of uh opportunities to to do those kind of super super long haul roads but you have to believe a sydney london would do rather well um we'll see about yeah sydney new york um it seems to be some potential there as well uh we won't know until 2025 is i think probably 2026 really because uh, these planes <laughs> deliver in 2025 so i was just gonna say yeah. <laughs> if you say 2025 that's 2027 and uh, perhaps 2028 uh but uh yeah that's um exactly the point i was going to make uh, but it's coming before before uh, before the end of the decade, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, and, yeah. I have a question for you, Jay. Would you do a New York Sydney nonstop? Yeah, I think yes. Yeah. So for Qantas, I think that now it is an investment and a and a new sub fleet. Uh, it's you know. Oh no, have... Jay. Would you fly on it? Oh, I, I thought that you were putting me in the shoes of a Qantas network planner. Would I actually fly? <laughs> no. On it? Would oh. you personally fly on it? <laughs> would I personally fly on it? Uh, you know what? I think I'd rather connect in a Dubai or Singapore. I think I want, I think I need that break. Yeah. Especially if it was a pretty, you know, pretty good connection. Um, I would, I mean, I'd be time permitting, money permitting. I would even prefer to, you know, to overnight in a Dubai and, you know, rest up and travel the next day. But how about you, Ned? Would you, uh, would you go for the super long haul? Just I am, I am, no, I am with you. I will connect anytime. I mean, I could, the listeners will know I, I'm a big runner. And one of my favorite things to do is to time myself a nice, you know, three or four hour connection where I can get off a plane, lace up my shoes, go for a run somewhere near the airport, get come back, get back on. And yes, I shower. Don't worry. Not, uh, not <laughs> thinking about jumping on the plane in my sticky running clothes. But yeah, I let me connect any day. I just can't imagine what it's 19, 20 hours on a plane. Oh, it's, it sounds painful, painful, well, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we're on the same page, Jerry. The, the person sitting next to you will be, uh, will thank you for that shower. And uh, that, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> glad you made that disclaimer there. <laughs> the, um, the, the, yeah, the, I think, I think the connection worked. Now, now, having said all that, I, that's despite what you and I uh, seem to feel, I, I do think that there are people that whose, whose time is that, you know, that there'll be, there'll be corporate travelers, investment bankers who just, you know, every, every minute counts and they'll, be happy to pay a premium for that. So I, I I tend to think that route will do will do just fine. 
Yeah, no, I think so too. Well, mm-hmm. we need to to move off of Qantas now, but I just want to say there's a few, I mean, other things that, that Miss Hudson's going to have to deal with as she comes in is, of course, Qantas has a large CapEx program to renew their narrowbody fleet over the next few years. She needs to manage that. Of course, she was chief financial officer, so I'd have to say she's probably well prepared. Um Qantas's uh, perception in the local market in Australia has suffered some recently, thanks to uh, some operational challenges and staffing issues they've had in the last year. So that's something else Ms. Hudson's going to have to deal with. And then, I mean, there's just the constant issue of, of running an airline in a competitive market. Like you said, it's a duopolistic uh, market in Australia, but there's some new competition and, and she's going to have to manage that. So Ms. Hudson, we wish you all the well, and we can't wait to speak to you here at Airline Weekly, get you on if you're listening. So, but Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that'll be you know one one interesting thing about the Australia had the the economy there went through a very very long uh, very unusually long period of economic growth. They didn't experience a recession for uh, I think it was maybe more than two decades, and it uh, a lot of that had to do with uh, you know Australia is a very big producer of energy, particularly coal that and and other minerals raw materials that China was buying up voraciously. And that has kind of stopped. Um, there's not entirely, but it's it's that whole kind of paradigm is over. And does it kind of begin again now that China's growing? Uh, I don't know. So so there, there are definitely economic questions for China, uh, for sorry, for Australia. Uh, Chinese demand was, was a very big driver of their growth in the prior two decades. And then there's, you know, a related question is, will the Chinese tourists come back, the Chinese students come back? I mean, those are, you know, they tend to be lower yielding passengers for Qantas, but important when it comes to filling the plane. So uh, there, you know, Miss Miss Hudson will have uh, questions, open questions to deal with. Absolutely. With mm-hmm. that, we're going to take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And we're back. We're going to jump on one of those ultra long haul flights to Europe now and go visit Lufthansa in Germany. Uh, they reported their first quarter results on Wednesday. And uh, Jay, how did they do? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read some numbers for everybody. So the Lufthansa group uh, as a whole, and remember, uh, it's it's a bit of an empire. There's multiple subsidiaries that uh, we'll, we'll go through here. But the group at the very high high level uh, produced a negative 4% operating margin for the first quarter, which in and of itself is nothing to be alarmed about at all. It is the first quarter that's off peak. There are a few things, though, that uh, that do... I look at these numbers and I do, you know, I, I think there's there's there perhaps, you know, cause for concern here. So I'll just say real quickly that uh, there are three pieces of the Lufthansa empire that are making money. So one is that the cargo is still doing very well, which is somewhat of a surprise because I was looking at Korean Air and they say cargo has just slowed down, slowed down a lot since you know the just very ultra high peaks during the recession. Um, but they're they're just very you know Lufthansa is just very good at cargo. I think there's probably a lot of I don't know you can imagine like energy equipment moving back and forth into and out of Europe and stuff. So they're still doing very high, eighteen percent margin for cargo, and it's a very large operation. Um, it's yeah eight hundred eighty five million dollars just in the first quarter. Uh, in revenue. So 18%, very, very strong. The maintenance is doing very well too. There's a shortage of maintenance capacity out there. Uh, Lufthansa have huge, huge maintenance, 1.7 billion in revenue. So just <laughs> that is larger than Swiss Airlines, just the, the, the Lufthansa Technic. 
Um, and wow. at 9% operating margin. Yeah, it's very huge and it's making good money, 9% operating margin. And then Swiss itself, it earned a 6% operating margin off peak quarter, which is absolutely fantastic. No surprises and were, there. And they were actually, uh, the of the Lufthansa Group's passenger airlines, the only one to turn a profit in the first the, quarter. The only one, yeah. And no surprise there. Swiss has just been an all-star performer ever since Lufthansa bought it back in 05 or whenever. I mean, just uh, one of the one of the best airline acquisitions of all time. So still doing great there. Uh, you know, Austrian is a little bit rough, but Austrian had a great last summer. So Brussels still losing money. That seems to be a lost cause. <laughs> Eurowings, <laughs> Eurowings, an even bigger lost cause. They have a negative 32% operating margin. But I'm not even worried. That doesn't even, none of that is, 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 is what I'm really, what really concerns me when I look at these numbers. It's the, right, Lufthansa, the Lufthansa mainline business, the core Lufthansa, you know, branded operation, negative 12% margin in the first quarter. And even last summer, you know, the peak summer, just a 5%, positive 5%. I mean, these numbers are not what you need. You know, you need, you need better out of Lufthansa. And the call today, I know you listened to it, Ned, and I want to hear your impressions, uh, but it was a rather optimistic call. And I believe one of the analysts even asked about that. You know, it's like these mainline numbers don't look good. And they kind of brushed it off. They yeah. said, yeah, well, they. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I listened to the call. Like like you said, the analyst asked, and I, I you know, I'm taking Lufthansa's executives comments, uh, you know, for what for you know, face value. But they said a lot of the pressure on Lufthansa's core business is are the added costs they're making to make the operation more um, resilient this summer. Now, if we remember, they had a lot of challenges last summer. They had to repeatedly pull they they along KLM in uh, Amsterdam and British Airways in London had to you know keep pruning their schedule back by thousands of flights during the summer because of capacity constraints. So you know according to to management, costs are elevated at mainline, um, and that's really that's hitting the bottom line there. And another thing is, is Lufthansa mainline is the most uh, most um, exposed to corporate travel, and yes. corporate travel volumes are only about. 60% recovered. Corporate travel revenues are 70% recovered because remember yields are up. And so that's what they said is going on at, at Lufthansa mainline. So at face value, those all make sense. The business, you know, should be recovering, but you know, you sound a bit more skeptical than I am, Jay. Not so much that I'm skeptical, but even with what they, what they say is true, um, it's, it doesn't uh, make the picture better. I mean, you know, uh, it's uh, that's um it is what it is and uh it's true that germany if you look across the world there's probably no other major market in the world whose capacity is still as far down as it is um you know if you just look at the number of seats coming out of german airports it's still like way 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 below 2019 much more so than other european countries or other countries in the world uh, and that is um, mostly because, as you said, Germany is a very, very corporate market. It gets much less tourism than, say, a France or an Italy or a Spain. Um, so you're relying on that business traffic. Well, OK, fine. Um, you know, that's a nice excuse. But uh, if you're, you know, does that come back or is that is that become a chronic problem? Does Lufthansa mainline? Uh, are we going to be hearing the same story next quarter and the quarter after and the year after? And, and you know that that remains to be seen they you know they say they say no they'll they'll uh they're you know taking steps to cut costs they say you know eventually the uh, well one thing they said was that premium leisure is kind of uh you know making up for some of that lost corporate which 
probably true. Um, they did say the summer is going to be absolutely fantastic, which no surprise. I mean, they rely a lot on transatlantic, which 25% year over year, which I, mm -hmm. I should say is not year over year since 2019, which to put it in perspective, yields were only up 10% over 2019 last year. So and last year was busy. So that, that's good. But but you're right, if they don't have, you know, the corporate travel isn't there. Um, one thing I want to say is they did say that they don't expect German domestic corporate travel ever to fully recover. And, you know, you were speaking about Germany reports not have, you know, being far below in recovery. I mean, I have to ask, will German airports ever fully recover? Um, but just because if the corporate travel is not there, it sounds like Lufthansa and other airlines are just putting their planes elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, even the low cost carriers have just kind of run away from that market. It's uh, so, yeah, if you're an airport in, in Germany, that has to be concerning, um, particularly if you're not one of the big hubs or, you know, perhaps even if you are one of the big hubs, I mean, they're, they're down as well a lot. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it, there, there are definitely some concerns there. Um, and, you know, the good news is, is that Lufthansa is a very long haul oriented internet, intercontinental oriented airline. And those markets uh, are doing very well right now as, you know, transatlantic is not the only one, even Asia is doing well for them. Um, they mentioned yes. in the call. So, and so they expect as mm -hmm. Asia comes back more that to lift their corporate travel numbers. Yes. Uh, as mm -hmm. you know, they they expect more. Yeah. So they've got a lot to look forward to. But like you said, if if there's structural changes here that could you know be long term challenges for for the Lufthansa mainline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, another question um, we we talked about Australia's economy. I mean, Germany's economy too. A lot of vulnerabilities. I mean, not only. Uh, the exposure to what's happening in Russia and, you know, energy related uh, dependence there. But uh, but also, you know, Germany's a very, very manufacturing heavy economy, very dependent on auto manufacturing in particular. And this transition to electric vehicles is poses a, just a giant challenge for some of their biggest employers. Think about Volkswagen and Daimler and, uh, you know, that's so so that's something that you have to imagine is a concern for Lufthansa's executive executives as well. And I don't, you know, I don't want to put if if, if, if I'm sounding very too pessimistic here. I, I I don't mean to be. I you know, there's a lot of potential, um, especially as as I mentioned. You know, it is a very strong intercontinental airline. They also have that same thesis as their partner United. Um, just like you know, Scott Kirby United always says it's going to be a very high yield environment for the next couple of years because we're going to be so constrained. Um, the, the industry is going to be so constrained on the capacity side. Lufthansa very much subscribes to that point of view. Um, so, you know, if they can get their costs in order and yields do, in fact, stay high, well, then, you know, maybe they can sort some of this stuff out. But I, I think it's important, you know, some of the points we, we, we just raised, I think, are important to mention. Yeah. And then some last comments before we, we wrap this up uh, on ITA Airways, Italy's state-owned carrier, you know, out of the ashes of Alitalia. You um, saved the best for last. <laughs> Spore <laughs> had some comments on it. They're not providing any any real firm details, given they're still in negotiations with the Italian government. But he made a note that, you know, Rome could act as a southern hub for the group, uh, especially for South America and Africa, because um, he cited the fact that, you know, Zurich is their f currently for the South 
South Hub. And then he also mentioned, and now that this was actually prudent, that they have no intention of, of using ITA to recapture the Italian domestic market, that that is essentially ceded to low-cost carriers and to trains. And that's just not somewhere that Lufthansa has any desire to, to compete. And so I thought that was a prudent statement. Doesn't mean that ITA will be profitable right away, an analyst did ask, and that's where uh, Carson Spohr was like, well, I will um, withhold those details until we finish a deal. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, when I hear about IT, I have this image in my head of just touching a hot stove, <laughs> like a really hot stove and getting burned. Um, I'll withhold judgment until they uh, you know, put out their business plan, if, if and when they ultimately seal the deal here. Uh, but a lot, a lot of risks when you... Um, buy into an airline like that. I'll remind our listeners that Air France KLM once owns 20, owned 25% of Alitalia, and it did provide a lot of lucrative traffic. I mean, they pumped in a lot of, you know, corporate travel from Northern Italy in particular, through Paris, through Amsterdam, and uh, that benefited the transatlantic market um, and uh, added, you know, it, it, was, it, it was really good traffic, but at the end of the day, they had to bear 25% of Alitalia's losses and it was a real albatross for a while. If you go back into those years, I want to say like 2006, 2007, again, I may have my, but I'm thinking like before the global financial crisis, roughly that time frame. Um, right. Alitalia was just, yeah, it was, it was a big, it was a big problem for, for Air France KLM. It was, it was a financial albatross. Well, and, you know, we'll certainly hope we'll try that, to, yeah. yeah, we'll certainly hope that they're not for Lufthansa, but that's going to be anyone's guess for sure. Um, we, we, we may find out before long. <laughs> <laughs> then we might be talking about this on our next uh, next quarter, or Lufthansa's next quarterly call. Anyway, watch Jay, your, watch your fingers, Mister Spore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Jay, always a pleasure. Listeners, if you want to reach myself, Edward, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Again, Jay, it's a pleasure. Likewise, Ned, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.